0: And welcome to the Lifefulness podcast, which is dedicated to helping you live your life as fully as possible through Lifefulness. I'm your host, Samson Jones.
1: I'm your co-host, James
0: Croft. Lifefulness adapts the techniques of spiritual communities and congregations in a way that is secular, inclusive, and evidence-based, and it will make perfect sense by the end of the podcast. Uh, I'm the co-founder of Sunday Assembly where Loveless originated, and that is a worldwide network of secular congregations.
1: And I'm the leader of the Ethical Society of St. Louis, one of America's largest humanist congregations.
0: On the Life on podcast, we interview brilliant people who can give you and us insights into how to adapt the best parts of spirituality so that it works for everyone, because we need to go deep to tackle the problems we're facing in society, and these ideas can really help all of us in our lives. Today we are interviewing Casper Takael, who is both super fun, you'll love him, and at the heart of this emergent movement of practitioners who are reinventing and revitalizing spiritual practices. Casper was a climate activist in his 20s, but ended up at Harvard Divinity School in his 30s, because he thought that the problems we face needed to be like addressed at a fundamental level. In 2015, he and his collaborator, Angie Thurston, wrote a report called How We Gather, which looked at how millennials, uh, Gen Z didn't exist then, were meeting their spiritual needs in places like CrossFit, SoulCycle, and a little organization called Sunday Assembly. And that's when Casper and I got to know each other. After this, he became a Ministry Innovation Fellow at Harvard, before starting the Sacred Design Lab which advises companies, non-profits and communities on how to create soul meaning and belonging for their, I'm not going to say stakeholders, there are too ugly, for the people who gather there. This year he
1: released the book The Power of Ritual
0: which looks at how we can reimagine religious ritual to create meaning and connection in our lives.
1: What I love most about Casper is how he combines a passion and love for religious questions and experiences with his deeply searching mind and that definitely comes through in our conversation. In our conversation you'll hear how Casper grew up singing Christmas carols to barnyard animals, how you can introduce the benefits of religion and spirituality into your life even if you're not religious and how you can use ritual to bring soul to the workplace. He even has to develop a few workplace rituals on the spot.
0: And I think what's particularly fun about this conversation is we slightly changed the format just to go and make it a bit livelier and James, I think I uh, don't want to, due to the format, not the guests, the guests, oh god now I'm worrying whether I'm going to insult the guests and, of the other ones or insult Casper. Basically we tried a few new things and we really loved it and we think you are going to love it too. Yeah, welcome to the Life on This podcast. Uh, it is I, Samson Jones, and me, James Croft, and we are sitting here with Casper uh, to Kyle. And so Casper is a uh, has really been at the forefront of this field of really sort of reimagining a congregation and looking to uh, old spiritual practices in uh, and sort of bringing them into. Sort of both looking in places of like what, where is sort of spirituality happening in disguise, and then also looking to spiritual traditions to say uh, actually like how can we go and reinterpret them? Casper, uh, how are you?
2: I'm good. I'm really glad to be with you. I feel like um, yeah. We haven't had we haven't had a chance to hang out in a while, and this is just going to be really fun. I'm really glad I, to see you. I've babe.
0: got a real sneaking suspicion that I'm going to do a lot of my catching up with people that I really <laughs> like and sh- I should see more of, just that's, under the guise of a podcast.
2: That's why you start a podcast. A hundred percent. You just get to hang out with your friends. It's the best. Yeah,
0: and so uh, we uh, always like to go and get an idea of what people's. Uh, Spiritual backgrounds are, Ooh. and you know what, where they come from, and what happened in their own lives. So, do you want to go and kick off and say uh, what made Casper a Casper? <laughs> well,
2: it's a very special recipe. They they only made one, and then they thought, let's leave that out of production. Um, actually, got a, a photo book this morning from my mother, which was very sweet, with all kind of photos from my childhood. So, these questions have been swirling around me all day. Um, And I I grew up fundamentally in a a non religious home, I grew up in England, uh, although my family is Dutch, both my parents are from Holland, which I think next to Denmark is the most secular country in the whole world. And so I grew up without, you know, any sense of, of congregational life or the word God or religion, it was just very, very absent in in my upbringing and mostly, you know, fine. Um, I came out in high school. And so for me, religion was either irrelevant or cruel. You know, I had zero time um, for for the Church of England, the kind of dominant religious institution in England. Um, And at the same time, I did have a lot of experiences as a kid, both in summer camp in Holland, and more importantly, in a a school that I went to, uh, um, which was a Waldorf school. You're a Steiner kid, aren't you? I am a Steiner kid. How is your eurythmia? Do you still have
0: your eurythmia
2: shoes? Oh my god, I hated eurythmia. And I actually left when I was 10. So I I was there from, from when I was five to 10. And for those of you who aren't familiar with kind of Steiner education, it's very much focused on the holistic development of the child. And so it has a very rich... Kind of creative, artistic, nature-based kind of vibe. Still within uh, Rudolf Steiner was a very interesting hashtag problematic man who was interested in kind of melding Christianity and Hinduism. So you still get lots of kind of rituals, lots of celebrations throughout the year. Where you, you know, we we would we would cut out lanterns and and sing as we went on the street. Or, or, or Christmas Eve, we'd go to the local farm and sing Christmas carols to all the different barnyard animals to make sure they were part of the Christmas spirit. And we would dance around the Maypole on May Day and Wait, so the... wait,
1: wait, 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 You sang
2: yes. Christmas carols to
1: Barnyard Animals. Absolutely. How did you know whether the barnyard animals were entering into the Christmas spirit or not?
0: It
2: turns out A Cultural this...
0: Imperialists. <laughs>
2: forcing
0: at this religion on these animals
2: but turns out just like most of religion it's not really about the thing that you're doing it for it's more about what happens to us while we're doing it um at least in my view so um what i'm trying to say with all of these examples is that although i wasn't a religious you know i wasn't in a religious household there was a lot of when i look back at it now a lot of ritual a lot of very strong community and a lot of aligned kind of um yeah values that were being shared through through ritual life and so when i look back at it now i'm like actually if you understand religion more broadly it kind of did have a very spiritual foundation um but i i didn't have any language for it and it didn't come with an identity uh and so as i as i grew up later you know as a gay atheist the, the kind of the, the the a gay atheist yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a special members club. James is one of the uh, one of the doormen. He has, you know, he gets to say who comes in and who doesn't. Who who comes out? Surely. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: why he got his profession in comedy. You see, it's that sort of comedy gold that you come to life on this podcast for. Can I
0: just dive into one thing is, uh, well, firstly, we've got to say that we just witnessed your mother who i've read your book she comes (laughs) off i I wanted to dig into her background because it sounds like she's into all things ritual anyway and then casper's mother just walked in and it turned (laughs) out that casper had eaten her cake yeah he
2: (laughs) digged into her cake (laughs) i know i'm staying with my parents for a month as i escape the kind of covid city and um uh they're in the midst of a, building a house and and clearly i i came home to the the room i'm sleeping in there was a plate with with a slice of cake on it so i was like oh how very lovely this doesn't look like mum's usual cake uh and then i was just informed as we were get, going online together that i had in fact eaten a cake meant for her from a friend and if- Did
0: you not see what happened to alice in wonderland If you start eating things which <laughs> They're not
2: your own <laughs> um clearly i'm I'm gonna experience a very wild next couple of days yeah
0: and so <laughs> yes yeah, so you you grew up in this uh, in this background which was not sort of religious and then we well, we're gonna dig into a bit more of your journey later on but was at the same time, And I find that really interesting of not having the language for it. Yeah. yeah. I totally identify with that. Like, uh, I can remember growing up being like, I've got all these feelings. I'm just like, ah, I just really want to celebrate and sing and life. And I just, the more I think about it, the better it is. And it's like, oh, that's something which is akin to spirituality, to loving life so much that it eventually, uh, you know, becomes something that you almost worship. Uh, we've, uh, we're just trying a new thing. We wanted to ask 10 questions off the top. And so Ooh. one of them was, what would be the, like one thing that you think would be the best thing that we could take uh, from religion that uh, people uh, could do? And uh, by the way, I had that question, because there'll be a lot of people we interview who are like, oh, I don't really see anything good. <laughs> and with you, you're gonna be like the whole fucking Exactly.
2: Thing, really. <laughs> I'm like, how long can the list be? I mean, the number one answer for for me personally, is communal singing. Um, I I'm, Can we swear? Can I swear? Yes, we that's can. Okay. I fucking love singing with other people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not that one. That's the one swear that's not allowed. <laughs> Edit it out.
2: <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, for me, and, and Sunison, you know, one of the things I love so much about you is that you have that, well, as you say, lifefulness, right? Like, that's the thing that really is at the heart of all of this for you. I think for me, maybe one of the things that, I, that, that I've always had a sense of is like both a deep um, gr- groundedness or like a safety, but that also kind of ha- holds space for a lot of sadness um and so i love the music i listen to is nearly always like sad songs and i've hosted sad swans sad song soirees where everyone who comes has to like perform a sad song it's a great evening um but so singing for me is one of the ways i feel like i can really access that sense of of the mystery that's bigger than me or or a sense of collective effervescence or a sense of honestly the, the moment when i forget that i am me i feel like i'm just I'm just part of a bigger canvas is is when I sing with people in harmony, especially. Um, And so that's one of the things that I think is very, very rare in our culture today outside of religious spaces, Nearly always singing is in a sort of performative element, right? You think about The Voice or all the TV shows where people are performing or even, you know, around a campfire if someone has a guitar, OK, there's wagon wheel. Oh, if you're in God, America. you
0: always slightly and... distrust the guy who's got the guitar, right? Or is it just yeah, me? yeah. yeah. Well, exactly.
2: Or it's or it's going to be Wonderwall in the UK. And after that, like, people don't really just know the words. So th- we've lost a collective language, I think, in terms of going back to that sense of not having the words to express how you feel. We've we've lost that in in not having kind of communal singing spaces. So that's that's my number one. I would say in terms of things that we can we can take and translate or, or repurpose from religious life.
0: Uh, that's a thanks very much. Something I can very much get behind. Uh, now in our new thing that we're going to try, our next questions we're all going to be so lifefulness what we've done is gone and looked at reimagined a model uh, and some slightly changed the model which came from the purpose-driven church oh yes like six parts of it the oh six we love it, warren of Lifefulness. Well, so uh <laughs> curious is, is the pastor's egg and so the and so the we're just going to go through each of them and you could probably write an essay on each of these so we'll try to keep it relatively quick what would you say your ultimate meaning is that's the first one ultimate meaning what's the ultimate meaning in your
2: life the, the thing i'm always oriented around is um as john O'Donohue said the kind of never-ending circle of belonging so that sense that that everything belongs to life and therefore everyone does and how how can how can we make a world in which everyone is kind of loved in that in that belonging that's there, but that's my answer
1: that's great, I James. That was quite you, nice. You've got to do. You do the that next was one. Pretty good. <laughs> oh, uh, I do, I've got to do the next one. I don't even know what the next one celebration. is. Celebration. Yeah. Okay, so the next, the next. celebration, <laughs> worship. The, uh, the next, the next pillar of lifefulness. We're not sure what are pillars. We're not sure whether they're foundations. We're not yeah. sure what metaphor to use. But the next piece is celebration. So how does that manifest in your life for you?
2: Oh, I'm, I'm actually imagining and just in is terms the of metaphors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm imagining just in terms of a, a metaphor, some sort of like park kind of water feature with like six fountains. And it's just like, whoo. Anyway, that's that's what I'm envisioning.
1: <laughs> they got um, those in Vegas, the Dancing Fountains the, the, and the da- Bellagio. Those are seriously, that's a spiritual experience. If you haven't seen it yet, you could really write a whole chapter of your next book on that. That's or, how that's the secularization of religious spirits right there. The Bellagio's fountains.
2: Um, I've just had my mother made a return entrance and dinner was uh, dinner was uh, brought to me how very sweet Um, so the way I would think about celebration for me is really about the liturgical calendar Um, so this is a way of traveling through time and celebrating certain days to you know to embody certain festivals or values or, or stories and for me this is one of the things that I did really learn from that kind of Steiner School background was was having a sense of feeling at home in the world when you know that you're going to be celebrating michaelmas you're going to be celebrating advent you're going to be celebrating rosh hashanah and you know May Day. for me it's a bit of a mix of all sorts of things because of the people in my life who've made those days important um but that's i that's what i love to, to celebrate and of course each one comes with separate foods and separate songs and costumes mostly i'm excited about the outfits
0: Oh yeah, I uh, had, uh, just last night, uh, uh, some lesbian neighbours of ours came, came over with uh, a load of clothes they're about to... Lesbians! Uh, Lesbians. Yeah, I know! Uh, the, and my wife and I have never looked cooler since we, than when we raided their wardrobe. I am at the moment sucking in my belly very hard with some new, slightly too short uh, tartan trousers, but too short in the way which I think now is okay. Uh, so,
2: from... You can't say that without showing us at least a leg. Come on.
0: It's an audio medium. Uh, and so... uh, I'm
2: happy to describe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the third one is, so, Celebration Community Life. Where do you find your community life at the moment?
2: I've, I've really been struggling with this question actually during lockdown because I moved to New York about, uh, just about a year ago now, and obviously, Born in England, families in Holland, then moved to Boston, now in New York. And all my dearest friends and and kind of my closest, yeah, closest community people are not in the place where I live. And that's sometimes fine if you're living in a hypermobile, heavy carbon life. Uh, But right now, it's not possible. And I've really felt the absence of those friends, those kind of like, you know, soul, dear friends. Um, So I feel like my community is really split it's, it's kind of islands of community rather than something coherent. Um, and it's, yeah, something I'm struggling with. You know, I, I, I've always chosen career or education over a, a, a continuous place-based community. And I think I'm, I'm suffering because of those choices now, uh, or at least seeing the consequences of them in a way that maybe I hadn't before.
1: That's a really interesting point you say about how you've kind of chosen to follow your career education vocation it seems yeah. to me like you're a vocational person that you have a calling and you're following it yeah and i feel the same way and that's taken me to fascinating places right but it's also disconnected me from you know you uproot all your relationships yeah. every time and there is a pain in that
2: yeah definitely definitely
0: the uh, uh this new format of the questions is so annoying because like i really want to go and, uh chat more about this but we're just going to see what happens because uh, i'm also really liking it and so then the Uh, we have community life and then the fourth part is this idea of personal
1: personal growth growth. i know that one
0: yeah and so that's the idea of discipleship but what is the yeah what does that like personal growth
2: look like for you
0: where are you finding that at the moment
2: it means wearing trousers that don't have a normal waistband. <laughs> Honestly, it means moving to America and eating larger portion sizes. Um, uh, personal growth, personal growth. One of the the fictions I think in in how a lot of us consider spirituality or we think about personal growth is that it's a trajectory upward. That it's it's following this story of achievement and being a better person and 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 being more impressive and you know having more patience. I'm always compelled by people like Henry Nouwen who talk about the spiritual journey as one that's a descent, or, or Richard Raw who talks about it's a journey into humility, and so every day he prays to, for a daily humiliation, which honestly is a bit probably more than I would do. But it's I, a bit much, I, isn't it? Yeah, it's a bit much. <laughs> but I, but what I what I love about it is that it's it's not glorifying the sense of like spirituality or. or, or, or you know, a sense of lifefulness to use that language. It's, it's not about becoming better or more or more impressive, but it's actually about becoming more giving, becoming a, you know, some, someone who makes space for others more, someone who's of service to others, all of which I found very difficult because I'm particularly fascinating and interesting. Um, and so I just, when I think about growth, I think about the times when I've been able to not put my own self-interest first or i've I've tried to think about others or how i can be more oriented towards the needs of the world um
0: and the whole cake episode shows (laughs) exactly how hard that is for
2: you (laughs) you can all fuck off but yes exactly i'm like oh it must be for me exactly exactly
1: yes so the next pillar foundation element of lifefulness is service so Mm. how do you view service
2: it's interesting because i i became kind of my spiritual life rejuvenated as an adult, as a young adult after being a climate activist. So I was really involved in trying to mobilize young people around the United Nations um, climate negotiations around the Copenhagen talks in 2009, Um, and they failed. And so I felt like I failed. And so I have always felt, I don't wanna say guilty. I have a lot of friends who are still really involved in, in climate change activism. And I've kind of taken this step away I see my work as integrally connected to it, and you know I can give you the whole spiel about why, but it is something that kind of you know still sits on my shoulder of hey, uh, what are you doing on on the kind of bigger systemic issues? Um, so when I think about service, uh, I think about maybe some of the smaller things that I do. I have a, a pen pal uh, with a man who's incarcerated, and kind of just being someone who is. Um, yeah, just interested in them and sharing stories about my life and just trying to trying to show interest in humanity in a system that is inhumane in many ways um yeah i'm but it's 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 not my natural inclination as i just revealed so it's it's something i have to really try and be disciplined about and i think it's one of the one of, perhaps if i could add to that singing list of you know thinking about. Taking social action, not on my own, but in a community is inherently often more impactful, of course, on the world, but also shapes us in a different way. And so I, that's another thing I really miss is having having a community that that takes social justice action together.
0: And I think, uh, yes, yeah, so the serving others is the sort of translation of ministry. And I mm. think
2: that's
1: that
0: gives it that thing where actually you know people do have different ministries, mm. and there will be someone for whom uh, not eating the cake or whatever else it might be <laughs> is supernatural, but is that yeah. like it's exactly their way of doing it. But actually, the person who is organizing the singing, which curiously, they're yeah. at the front of yeah. uh, the <laughs> is that is obviously also a gift that you can give, yeah. and lots of people choose not to give it,
2: and- yeah, and that's something that comes very naturally to me. I mean, like. One of the things I did as lockdown happened, I was like, oh, wait, I love singing. Like, let's start an online Zoom choir. And I guess, you know, not everyone thinks of that. And it was lovely to see, especially the first time when we sang together, my husband and I, you know, led, led some rounds, simple songs, then we sang together and people could join us. Like a lot of people were just crying because it was the first time that they'd sung with someone else after a couple of weeks of, of being really on their own, you know, fully, fully locked down. Um, so th- I guess I, I often create spaces where people can, connect with one another or connect with something that's important to them but i yeah and if i was to use that m word of ministry i would say that's that's definitely part of what i do in the world yeah
1: well you are you are a ministry innovation fellow right so
2: and what a fellow i
1: believe you gave yourself absolutely all the best job
2: titles yes (laughs)
0: Uh, and, and then the last one is changing the world, which this was a tricky one to go and find a mm. translation of, because that was evangelism.
2: And so... Uh, the, I, can I offer a different translation? Yeah, of how I, how, how, so I think about evangelism as a way of inviting other people to see the world in the way that you do. That, that's how I like to think about it. And so I think really it's about worldview. And that's, that's something, honestly, I'm really passionate about because I feel like I was given amazing gifts as a child in my family and the education I had and, and the work I do now to see the world, both in its horror, but always to try and find hope and courage and and stories of beauty and tenderness. And, and I try, yeah, I do try in terms of the stories I tell and the people that I spend time with to like, inject that kind of, hopefully a, a sense of, yeah, just a, a sense of hope and goodness that exists in the world, and so I—that's th- how I would—that's how I would talk about that kind of evangelism. Is like try. W- would you would you look at the world from this angle and see what's possible? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I guess the uh, and that is certainly you know on all these things and the languages both uh, yeah. a, a lie and then also <laughs> like something that you will you know you get to that Meister Eckhart place and so Meister Eckhart is yeah. an amazing fourteenth century german theologian and where he just said if the only prayer you said in your life was thank you that mm. would be enough it's on my wall over there mm. and then that was basically just going oh yeah well like realistically all the stuff we do is a crock of shit just get guided by the inner voice but we have all these conversations it's actually really hard to do that on your own yeah.
1: i feel like some people might be might be thinking why would we want to take anything from mm-hmm. that big mess like all, all these horrible outdated attitudes and and yeah. unscientific beliefs why not just leave that in the past what do you say to someone like that
2: yeah yeah well I mean there's a couple of answers one is to say at least for me and I can't speak to anyone else but certainly for me there came a point when not having any place for spirituality in my life just wasn't working anymore and it just it I felt I felt stuck i felt listless i didn't feel like i I had a way of talking about let alone you know uh, engaging or or developing that part of me that i i had a sense of but no language for um which was about being part of something bigger which was about um you know living a, a, a full expression of who i am so that's one answer is to say well if you recognize that feeling then i think there's 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 it's worth engaging with what human beings have been doing for thousands of years, right? If 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 we if we think about religion as the way in which humans have made meaning and built meaningful community, um, then then you know th- there's got to be something in there. So if you can accept that, then the question is, okay, how do we do it? And and what's a way in which is both responsible but also responsible to the tradition? And honestly, I I don't frame it as like what can I take from religion. I frame it more like how can I help the best of religion find a, sh- a shape and a an expression in this cultural moment and I, I i feel emboldened in that because speaking to people who have really dedicated their lives so i have a wonderful friend called carol zinn who is a nun and she's kind of the head nun of america right now Whoa. She, she, I, I know, she, nun. She, nun in chief yeah exactly so she and and she always talks about religion is a historically and culturally contextual response, and this is her Christian language now, which is a radical response to the gospel. So for her, what sits at the heart of of her Catholic faith is this, this culturally and historically contextual response to the gospel. And for her, that's about justice, it's about mercy, it's about love, it's about peace and so the way in which you make that real in this moment is going to be different from the way you made that moment or you attempted to make it real and, and true in the 14th century so we know things that, that the world is round that you know uh, all the scientific facts that we know fantastic. Oh, easy
0: easy this is we don't want to make this a political space making these sort of super <laughs> bold claims that the world is round indeed casper you go to Harvard, the two of you, and you're ramming it
2: in my face. <laughs> Just wait till we start talking about the polio vaccine. But anyway, um, but but essentially, the, the, the you know these things are always culturally contextual, and we know better, so we do better. And 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 my hope is that you know we we can look towards what is the breathing heart of these these traditions, and we're never going to agree on what that is. But each of us has a sense of what it is. And that we find some way to bring that out into the world and into our lives today and and for me that's an endlessly creative adventure because how i understand what the beating heart of of the world is or of of, you know my life's call is always going to be developing and our technology and our economy and our society and our culture is always going to be changing so there's always going to be new ways to find a way to bring that into the world so becoming you know engaged with religion for me is a super creative endeavor because you're kind of trying to innovate how to help people live a life of meaning and integrity. And that, for me, is like the most exciting thing there is.
0: Yeah, I think we've got a slightly in that, like, I also go and look, uh, obviously, the, the, all three of us go and do this yeah. in slightly different ways. And yeah. our, our own responses to it will be, uh, well, one of them will be right and everyone else will be wrong, but like, <laughs> uh, reflective of our own some priorities and all the rest of it. Yeah. And the, my own take is that it's a you know, in the same way that hats are the same shape all over the world because yeah. they fit human heads, <laughs> is that like congregations and spiritual communities yeah. like have got all these similar features and because they fit human lives, nice. that like we have got uh, Casper's like, Oh god, there Love we that. go. Yeah uh, great think fluencing. And <laughs> uh is uh yeah, and so and that actually if we go and look at this thing, I, uh, a slightly wanky word that I use, and I'm not afraid of, is um, spiritiomimetic design. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, so biomimetic design is when you look at nature and you look at like, and you, uh, copy the, it. And you go and look at honeycombs yeah. and you yeah. go and look at spiders webs and you go and make all these things. And that's really established. Like the speedo suits, which have got, uh, were modeled on shark skin. And which helps you go through the water. Is that what you
2: told your wife? Yeah, the, I'm looking yeah, at speed. speeders. Yes, fetus. yes,
0: that's the, that's what I'm doing. That's why I've got all these catalogues. Uh, oh. The uh Ian Thorpe, shut up.
2: <laughs> oh god, that was a joyful Olympic summer. Uh.
0: <laughs> and so so my own take on it is that actually, if you go and look at so many of these things that we've done, uh, mm. like and so I started so life on this comes from looking at. You know, Buddhist meditate like in the same way that John zinn looked at Buddhist right. meditation and said, actually there's something in here and it's gonna go and be able to have more impact if we sort of get it out of that religious sphere. And so I was like, Oh actually I think the con- that could happen for the congregation too. And then and then I saw, oh actually that's the same thing which happened with yoga mm-hmm. as well. And then going, Oh, actually that's the same the university was originally religious Very true. and Very true. and so was art. Uh, and, so we're hospitals. And yeah. So, yeah, hospitals. And and actually, I'm quite interested in thinking about what changes when you when you say thank you very much to the religious traditions. Mm. We will still look back to you in the same way that you look at religious art. And it's still but something different happens yeah. when you go and take it into this secular place and it says pluses and minuses to it. Of like. You, when you go and look at a medical doctor now, you're like, "Go, oh well, this is my secular shaman." You're like, "No, it's a doctor." Like something has changed along the way, and yeah. so you know, there's.
2: So, so th- this, is, I, I think this is one of the most interesting questions for me, Son and son because I think I am so glad that you're doing that, and it's also clear that I'm, I'm not doing that, and and th- this is the the juicy intersection, and I think. You know the, the abstract reason why I'm more interested in in thinking about okay, how do we kind of resacralize everything, which is a slightly imperial project. So rather rather than saying okay, I'm going to push the boundary of religion further back, or I'm or I'm going to or I'm going to embrace the methodologies of religion and put them in a secular place. I think what I'm most excited about is how 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 can we bring in a sort of religious view of the world. Actually, into education, actually into medicine. But I would
0: say that we can do exactly that. But yeah. but you get to do exactly that once by you. Like you're more likely to be able to go into a school and come into the world. Like yes, it's the same here. It's like i You know, there's. A, I'm sure we've all. We're all wankers enough to occasionally go and run our fingers down a tree and be like, oh my God, this is phenomenal, whatever it might be, and to see the holiness and everything and everyone and all that gump. Yeah, uh, the, I can so uh,
2: see you doing that. Sometimes. I know.
0: Oh I know, it's super sad. Uh, I know, I'm just...
2: <laughs> but, but, here's, but here's the second part, Sonocan, which is for me, the people who I've met that I'm just like, oh, wow, you've really figured this out. Like, the way I see you living your life I'm, I'm just like, whew. you know, j- whether it's about their integrity or about their courage. And for, for me, this started in the activist world where I look back at people who had led social change movements. And again and again, they had this religious or spiritual thing going on, not always at the surface, right? Not always loudly and publicly, but but when you learn more about their life, there was something often that anchored them. And I think that's that's ultimately why I often end up kind of orienting myself around the religious world, because I'm like, the people that I respect most seem to be religious. And I find that disconcerting, but also quite intriguing. Um, and so I guess that's that's why I'm like not ready to just give up on it. Do you know what I mean? So I, w- I want to ask a question
1: about this. Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel a certain amount of unease with that aspect of your project if I'm mm. totally honest. Yeah, no, so not uh, I, I read this article recently. I thought it was a great and interesting article. Yeah. What was it? The what was it in the New York Times or something? Or the, the yeah. yeah, it was it was a pretty big deal. About you and some other religious entrepreneurs kind of trying to bring yeah. spirituality, religion into the workplace. And yeah. I honestly, it chilled my spine. Yeah. I, You're I, not coming onto this podcast for a nice time, mate. Eh? No, but I, I, I read it and I was like, I can't imagine how awful workplaces could become if on top of the bullshit that employers already make their employees do, they also require them to engage in some 100%. sort of spiritual fucking workshop. I thought, oh my god, that sounds awful. And, so, and then I was like, no, this is I want to support Casper's work. I'm going to share it. I'm not going to make any of my views known. I just share the, share the, the thing. But I actually thought, oh god, I don't know what little... I want. This bright future, <laughs> this is not a brave new world. I want to visit, so let me say, and by the way,
0: it's interest, worth um, saying um, that if uh, you are Bible, interested in divinity in uh, the company, both Casper and I are the people to come and speak to about that, and uh, so Especially uh, all the details will be on the website. Go for it.
2: <laughs> the joy and the challenge of media coverage is that journalists will write an article that they want to write. Um, So I want to say it was certainly an incomplete view of our work and the fundamental framing which you picked up on, which I would 100% agree with. Can you imagine the sort of like, welcome to the Church of Walmart? Or honestly, like, welcome to the Church of Hackney Council. Like, who the fuck wants to go to one of those? Not me. The the, the work that we're doing with, and this is my work with Sacred Design Lab, which which is an organization I set up with my colleagues, Angie uh, Thurston and Sue Phillips. The the work that we're doing with organizations around kind of spirituality and and, and workplace is really responding to the existing fact that the workplace is one of the few places where people are actively seeking out questions of identity, of meaning, of purpose, and of belonging. And so for me, the question is not, why would you bring spirituality into the workplace? The question is, people are bringing their spiritual questions to the workplace. What do we do now? And the solution is not always to then, you know, start a yoga program or a meditation program or a small group meaning-making program. Although I think they can be successful, it's more about how. How do we? I, I think you know, people, employers now have a responsibility to at least be conscious that that is what employees are bringing. And obviously, this is not in every workplace. This is highly skewed in terms of class and everything else. But, but if you're not taking care about, it's just like mental health. If you're not aware of this, it, it's actually possible to do more damage because people start making a religion of the workplace unless they're helped to think more uh, uh, intelligently, honestly, about it. So that is a framing that I would have put into the article, which wasn't there. Um, but I, I totally understand that kind of instinctual reaction of like, oh, this sounds actually like worse than the flaming uh, uh, or the blackface.
0: Yeah, and so so I totally get that. I think that you go and look at this Lululemon where the guy uh, made everyone go to the Landmark Forum and some people got uncomfortable with that and then there was sort of all, and if you don't know, Landmark Forum is a sort of a personal (laughs) development uh, sort of process which some people love and some people absolutely do not. What breaks it down? It's brutal. I'd never go. I think it's culty. Yeah, and so so that can be that way, particularly if you're doing it outside the boundaries of existing organisations and protocols and all the rest of it. The counterpoint to that is that, like, if I was to ask you now, picture a soulless office, what would you say? What would be the things which come to mind?
2: Yeah, I mean, all, all the classic yeah, cubicles, grey. I mean, just think about the literally the, the workplace of the office, the TV show, and it's a pretty good representation.
0: And so, and it's a, it's a weird that we we do we use the word soul yes. about the workplace. We right. do it the whole time, and like you, and there was someone I was speaking to in the lifefulness at work group. Thank you very much, James, for pouring oil and all that. The uh, and so.
1: I feel like I've lost a lot of consulting gigs already in this podcast. <laughs>
0: the uh, And so, yeah, and he said there was someone he knew who, when he put on his lanyard, he said he yeah. felt that he lost his soul. And so yeah, I don't think it's like I've, the option. There is one option, which is hellish Lululemon. Uh, yeah. Unless, unless you're interested in making it less hellish.
2: Well, but. And, and, let's, and let's just say why, why it's hellish, because there was no agency for the individual. It was imposed from above, right? Like you can be sitting in a workshop with your boss trying to talk about your inner feelings. Like, of course that's inappropriate, right? So there's so many ways in which this can be done badly. Um, but I think you're exactly right. Like people's, if, if we're gonna use that language of soul, whatever we mean by that, it shows up in the workplace just like it does in the family. And if, if we don't know or pay attention to that, we can actually do a lot of damage, I think. And yeah, if you think about, you know, using that Lululemon example, if that was the place where they did the landmark forum, like the danger of, if you're sitting next to your boss, right, like someone who has the power to fire you and you're telling your life story and all the trauma and everything else, like that is a massively exposing thing. And so th- there's a hundred ways in which this kind of, you know, conversation about soul and work can be massively, massively dangerous. Um, so I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Hey there, I thought I would uh, interrupt that great content for some more
0: great content. And what I want to tell you about is we are doing a Life on This Podcast launch competition and we've got some awesome prizes to give away. If you go to lifefulness.io forward slash podcast, there is a box there. And what happens is if you go and share the podcast if you go and send it to your friends if you go and like our facebook page and a whole host of other things then you get one entry into the competition and there are some awesome prizes there there's a personal development workshop by james and i there's a workshop for your company there are talks which we will be willing to do in your company your community or your not-for-profit yeah we would love you to support this by getting the message out there so what you do is you go to www.lifefulness.io forward slash podcast and if you're able to share this then you might get one of those super super good prizes so thanks so much and without further ado after sort of injecting some little extra to do back to the podcast
1: i was just gonna i'm just wondering i mean you you are casper a kind of you're not just an academic right you have a strong background in the theory of things but you're also kind of an entrepreneur mm. in that you've started organizations, you've started kind of, I don't mm. know if they're companies or nonprofits, but you're selling like consultancy services and, and you know, mm. for companies. Do you worry about that intersection yeah. between the economic aspect of this and the spiritual aspect? Because a yeah. lot of religious work happens in nonprofit spaces where the profit motive is explicitly removed. Whereas when you start being like, I'm gonna sell yeah. this to Facebook. I'm gonna does that make the work different in a bad way or not?
2: Yeah, it's a great question, James. And it's you know, I've I've been involved both with uh with private companies and with and with uh, and with nonprofits, and Sacred Design Lab is a is a nonprofit. Um again, little caveat. It's very easy to fall into a narrative that like religion or spirituality is somehow pure and you know, very safe and away from money. And it's like Fuck's sake, come on, look at the bloody Catholic Church. Have you
0: seen the Pope's (laughs) house? Exactly. Come on. Exactly. And and also money is the thing which like, if you go and look at the good things which religious organizations have been able to do, like it's because they've got some oomph behind them.
2: Seriously, absolutely. So the first thing to say is that we should, we should look at capitalism and religion as inherently intertwined. They are not separate and they, they are, you know, whether it's your your pension investments are making money off oil, whatever it is, right? Like there's, there's a lot that's intertwined there. However, um, when you're entering a system like a private company where their legal responsibility is to maximize shareholder profit, absolutely, you're going to encounter real choices that leaders have to make about what they're going to prioritize. Um, So, you know, are you a B Corp? Are you a family owned business? Are you a shareholder in business? You're already going to see differences in terms of priorities within that. Um, And then also individual leaders will have really different priorities for how much risk they're willing to take. Um, So am I hesitant? Always. Uh, Am I put off inherently because you're working with a private company? No. Um, And honestly, having worked in the nonprofit world for a relatively long time, there are as many problems <laughs> inherent in the structure of nonprofits as there in in terms of you're going, still going to have donors right you're still going to have uh, board members that might have overdue influence rather than the people that you're serving so that each of these legal structures brings its own challenges um, and part of me wonders if there's actually an opportunity for new legal uh, structures, or even to rediscover old ones, like the co-op, for example, where you have worker-owned organizations or where you have maybe land trusts in which land isn't privately owned, but it's shared amongst a community. Um, so I, th- I think uh, when, when when you really get into the detail, just the fundamental legal systems that we have to maneuver within already make a lot of what we're trying to create in the world difficult um, because, you know, just the, the law is set up in, in one way and not the other.
0: The ah, oh, I really want to dive in about this, uh, uh, I have a uh, I have an Instagram post, you'd be very pleased that I'm sitting on, which is uh if your company's corporate charter says, uh, says that it's that uh, va- it's uh, fiduciary duty is to maximize shareholder value, all the rest of their values are a lie. Uh, and wow. I'm, I'm not 100% yes. sure that's true. And I'd really love to get it's to juicy Kenji, though, changing uh, corporate charters uh the but uh, what i would also like to do is actually talk about this uh the book that you read the power of ritual because uh you know we had such a good chat we some getting to it at the end because what it really does is go and you know in a more practical way show yeah. how some of uh, some of these ideas can you know individuals can do you don't have to wait until there's some secular congregation in town you don't have to go and do something it's some stuff that you can go and do in your life uh, what's been the thing you've been most pleased about or like, or, or maybe the, the ritual that you've had the best response from in the book?
2: Oh, it's a lovely question, Samson. It, honestly, it's the one that I'm personally most sustained by, um, which is the practice of, of doing a tech Sabbath. Um, so this is a practice that I was really inspired by after reading uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel, great Jewish theologian of the 20th century. Um, and he has this wonderful little book that's very readable, if you can withstand a bit of God language, called The Sabbath. And, you know, I was familiar with people, you know, keeping Sabbath, whether they're Jewish on a Saturday or or Christians on a Sunday. But for me, it always felt like an absence of fun things or like not doing things that brought joy. So I was like, why? Um, And reading that little book really helped reframe something for me as someone who's got some workaholic tendencies and and is very kind of like self driven and therefore kind of prone to breakdowns of like just total exhaustion. Um, The idea that you don't pause to kind of like prepare yourself for another work week or to like recharge your batteries to use that kind of mechanistic language but that it is the point of the work week that you that you have sabbath time because it is the like inherent delight and reward for that time of work. So he describes it as having like a taste of heaven. So what that ritual looks like for me in practice is that I I turn off my phone, I turn off my laptop on Friday night when it gets dark, and I hide them in a bookshelf because otherwise I'm gonna be tempted to go back on Twitter or to like get on top of email. Um, And I stand in my living room and for many years I had to like do this when my husband was like on the loo while like, I run running out I was kind of I was kind of nervous about it, but I have heard l- of people drinking
0: off. behind their partner's back. I've never ever heard of people got <laughs> this this rich I think he's secret ritualing again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but literally involves lighting a candle, singing a song I learned in summer camp about saying good night to the sun. And then it feels like, especially during the pandemic, it's really nice. It feels like you're traveling in time. It's And, and Heschel describes it as entering a palace in time. And honestly, it feels like just this big, like, a, you know, exhale. And for me, the experience of the Sabbath time is one of creativity and of spaciousness and of, kind of a permission to like do things that I otherwise wouldn't normally do like journal or like write a poem or play you know make music in some way or or go for a walk without also listening to a podcast and for me it's extremely restorative because I live a very very rich relational life I'm talking to people all the time and I love that but this is the only time when I kind of kind of protect it for solitude and I, I often find the best creative ideas kind of come bubbling up during that time as well so that's that's one that a lot of people have said after reading the book. Like, oh, I'm really going to try and do a, a tech sabbath.
0: I, I'm I the way uh, you have just brought it to life. There, I will uh, give it a go. When you have started saying play and then stopped, were you about to say play Mario Kart?
2: <laughs> I, I I I did buy a Switch during lockdown and play Mario Kart. I fucking love Mario Kart. Um, but I, I was going to say play my shrooty box, oh, that's, but that's a slightly. Is it rude? <laughs> no, it sounds dodgy. No, it's. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you play with my Shruti box anytime, <laughs> <Sanderson>. um, <laughs> um, No, it's, it's, a, it's an instrument. It's a drone instrument. And so as someone who, who, who was really shit at violin and clarinet, and I didn't like practicing, it's a way that I, it basically creates a drone sound using sort of bellows, and it's an instrument traditionally used in, in Indian classical music, often used in folk music now. Um, but it's a great way to have kind of accompanying yourself if you're singing. So I love to sing sad Scottish ballads and play my Shruti Box. That is on great. Saturday. I think
0: we might ask you to play some Shruti Box at the end of it to see if we can use oh, it. Yeah, the for, for so oh yeah, for our listeners,
1: they'd like some Shruti Box.
2: Too bad, too bad the Shruti oh. is in America and I'm in England. But okay. I'll send you a picture I'm next hold time. You to that. Do you? <laughs>
1: I was going to, this is something we discussed a bit before the podcast, Samson, but do you worry about the whole question of cultural appropriation, right? Because so Tech Sabbath is obviously based on the Sabbath, right? Which is a a Jewish thing. Um, But then there's a playing of Shruti Box, and as you say, that's got some connotations, cultural connotations attached to it. So I think many people might worry that and you've said that your idea is not to take pieces from religions and try and um, and at the same time, yeah. it does sound a bit like that's what's happening. Like, so take us through how yeah. you think about how about the whole cultural appropriation problem.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. So a couple of things again like i i want to make sure we're not living in a paradigm of cultural purity right cultures have always intersected religions have always intersected and influenced and and changed and i feel very differently about engaging and 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 kind of redesigning christian practices as a a dominant cultural force in the countries that i live than i do with engaging for example buddhist or certainly uh uh or uh, jewish or or certainly buddhist or or especially kind of indigenous practices which is something i would i would stay well away from um in the context of the sabbath even in explaining to you just now what my practice looked like i was really careful to mention abraham joshua heschel i was careful to mention the the jewish tradition that it comes from and for me there are kind of two vital ingredients to responsibly engage with a practice like that one is relationship so i was introduced to a lot of jewish life through a lot of jewish friends and jewish mentors and my my social and religious life is very enmeshed in the Jewish world. Um, so it feels it, it doesn't feel like I'm taking something without uh, giving something back uh, and being in relationship. And then the second one is about honoring and lifting up the place that it comes from. Um, so those two things for me feel make me feel comfortable, especially engaging in a, in a practice like Sabbath. Um, I I definitely have avoided things like ayahuasca or, or a lot of the kind of. Um, things that feel more extractive Um, you know you fly in you have an amazing three days you fly home again and that's kind of the end of the experience that that's something that for me wouldn't wouldn't feel appropriate Um, but I also don't want to live you know in, in a world where we can't learn and borrow and adapt and and give some give things back to to religious traditions that are in many ways, there to serve, and, and that I mean, it's something
0: where, which obviously I think about a, a lot as well. I'm like looking, and, and I'm sure that our, our listeners will be. Yeah. You know, I, I did a gong bath sort of like did I just go and put a, a Native yeah. American headdress on, uh, or whatever it might be. Yeah. And but actually, like all of our re- religions are syncretic. You know, yeah. there's not one which arrived yeah. perfectly. Absolutely. You know. Like Islam built on top of sort of uh, uh sort of desert religions from the peninsula, which like incorporated parts of Judaism, incorporated part of Christianity. Yeah. Christianity went and turned up in Europe and they're like, Oh people really love that
2: hill. Yeah. It's, Let's go and yeah, roll around it's, that it, hill. Totally. And so
0: there is <laughs> Exactly and it is that thing of like, how do you do it? But obviously, this is, you know, every time someone's doing mindfulness, yeah, can you go and honour yeah. it? Can you go and make sure that it is respectful? And it is, but it's something which I'm sure yeah. people listening to this podcast, who want to go and try different stuff, will be thinking about.
2: Yeah, and especially especially the way in which power plays, right? Because, again, I think that's that's really worth saying. For me, there is a difference about engaging a Christian practice than there is uh, around engaging a practice where, you know, people are marginalised and, um and, and and don't have a say in how things can be adapted. Um, so- Why are
1: you wearing
2: a, bin- <laughs> <laughs> oh a I am never, I'm never doing anything where vis- visuals are no longer possible with Sarlison. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a circumcised penis thing. <laughs> oh,
0: wowzers, hello. I didn't know that happened. What's the name of it? Well? Uh, uh, it there's a special name for the... Uh, the ceremony? It's I, a bris. I, it, yeah. No, I, I thought it was... A, I don't know. I remember my dad gave me a... He did give me... I found his book of New York cab driver jokes when I was nine. Uh, and they were pretty filthy. I remember one of This going, explains everything rabbi, about sex. The, the rabbi being given, and all these things, I'd be like, I, I didn't know the context for them. Yeah. Maybe I'd come through. There's this little nine year old boy, like, sort of going, So a Jew, a Jew, a Catholic, and a whatever, and, like telling jokes about Polish people. Wow. Oh boy. And, yeah. Danger, uh, danger. A, danger. And a, a wallet, uh, a rabbi being given a wallet which went, But when you rub it, it becomes a suitcase. Uh, and that was the. <laughs> know, uh, the, so we are getting to the end of our time together but I thought it'd be good to end on a little game which are called improv rituals and you are obviously the master Oof. of all rituals uh, and we're
1: expecting you to be good at this
2: I was gonna say I, I like talking about them I'm not necessarily a ritual designer but I will I will do well, my best uh,
1: says the person you're... who founded the sacred design lab okay okay, <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> there's. That's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, bigger a conversation. All right, fire away.
0: Casper, these are uh, some rituals I'd like you to design, some of them more relevant to your life than others. Yeah. So you're a huge Leeds United fan. I am. So here we go. Leeds United football manager Marcelo Bielsa is renowned for his rustic charm and unapologetic emotions and quasi-mystical take on the game of football and life. Yes. Bielsa doesn't speak much English, but thinks he can turn this to his advantage this year in the Premiership by replacing the halftime team talk with a ritual of dance. (laughs) A key part of his mood board are the whirling dervishes, he used that word, not me, five rhythms and Morris dancers. (laughs) What's a ritual that he could do?
2: Well, I'm gonna build on something he already did on his first day in the job, which is when he got the whole team to go and pick up rubbish from around the football ground. So what he's gonna do, he's gonna create a sort of dancing rubbish litter picking situation. And as as they reach for the rubbish on the ground, they kind of toss it into the air well, around and it lands in the bin bag that the other that the other footballer is holding. And through that, they will learn both collaboration and humility, which is totally Marcelo Bielsa. Yeah.
0: And they're also getting rid of their mistakes, aren't they? That's what the rubbish symbolises, right? I think. They're getting rid of the mistake and they're going in with the beginner's mindset into the second <laughs> half.
1: That was actually really good, Casper. Jeez, <laughs> Why did you say the word? I, I actually, argue. of
0: course he's going to be good.
1: This this is is what he are does. you listening to this? Are you listening, <laughs> Walmart? You could get your own ritual just like that. This is amazing. Keep going. I can't wait to hear what he comes up
0: with. Oh, okay. God. The uh, Creech Air Force Base is home to the Joint Unmanned Aerial Systems Center of Excellence, aka Drone HQ. Major General Chad P. Franks read the power of ritual and wants to create a coming of age ceremony for drone pilots who notch 100 kills. The general's Jewish and is inspired by the Bar Mitzvah and wants you to come up with a Bomb Mitzvah. You're designing a coming-of-age ceremony for 35-year-old bomber pilot Sharon Masterson, who is into CrossFit, Taylor Swift, and QAnon.
2: This is so this is wrong. So wrong. <laughs> he
1: first, has to throw QAnon
2: First of all. A foundation of Jewish ethics is to save a life, is to save the world. So, inherently, in this design challenge, there is something deeply uh, antithetical to the Jewish tradition. But if we think about military culture, um, I think maybe rather than something celebratory, I think what this chad would design is a, a kind of a grieving ritual because uh, we would, you know. Uh, want to make space for the, uh, for the horrors of war. And so I think when we participate in that, you know, a la Voldemort, when we kill someone, a piece of our soul is ripped apart. Um, so I think this this would be some sort of ritual of, um, of uh, forgiveness asking. And uh, uh, so maybe it'd be a workout in honor of the dead, in honor of the fallen, just as the CrossFitters have all sorts of workouts named after soldiers and service people who've died in the line of battle. Uh, we would, they would And they're, you know, shaking we, we, do, they're, they're shaking it off! They're shaking it off! <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm, my career's gonna be ruined. I'm gonna be cancelled tomorrow as this yeah, episode I'm, comes I'm worried out. I'm about
1: mine, honestly. You, I, I never know what Sanderson's gonna come <gasps> up with.
0: You actually showed that you did that really well because you showed that you're the sort of person who can go into a company and actually go and question some of the parameters which are given yes. to you. So yes. that's really good. And then, then the last one, you go. Uh, yeah. last one, you're, you're still going to have a job at the end of it. Thank God. It gets worse. Uh, David, Michelle, and Nisha work in a pharmaceutical company and their drug trial didn't succeed. After reading about your work, yeah. they yes. decide to get in touch uh, because they want to have a funeral for their project. They want to properly say yeah. goodbye yes. to a failed chemical compound And four years of work in a way that acknowledges the loss while celebrating how far they got the ritual must involve the team song wet ass pussy
2: jesus christ i was so with you until the very end because those rituals already exist those things already exist in companies there's all sorts of kind of all team uh gatherings to say goodbye and to kind of honor the work that's been put into projects that that have failed um and so there's some great examples around the day of the dead for example there's a a day led at x the the alphabet company uh where my my friend gina who's the head of of culture she's the I think the cultural alchemist at x she kind of created this company-wide ritual to say uh to say goodbye to projects that have failed so there's some great examples of that i am afraid i i think we'll have to we'll have to work without that particular musical edition of the whack if it's at Um, at, at at google we just go and
0: hire cardi b and megan b stallion to come in and do it maybe in sort of white
2: well or, or or we allow kind of mass personalization like the silent disco where, you know, everyone gets to choose the soundtrack of their choice. And if you're very excited about doing the WAP, then... uh...
1: Is that even how you say it? Doing the WAP? We could get Ben Shapiro in to do his his version. (laughs) His censored version. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could just be, you know, p-word all the time. Everyone can participate regardless of their level of comfort.
2: Well, sadly, my my level of comfort around Ben Shapiro is extremely low, so I'd rather have the original. I do like when he came
0: out and he said, my wife tells me that uh, that a, a, a wet vagina is a sign of illness. Oh, Ben.
2: Oh, Ben, I've I've never been with a woman, but even I know that you're wrong. (laughs) Uh,
0: Look, we have come to the end of this podcast. Casper, you've got a book out. Where can people get your great book, The Power
2: of Ritual? Oh, in all good bookstores and at powerofritual.org, you'll find links all over the place. And fun news, it's just about to be published, or it's going to be published in Polish. I found out today. How fun is that? I found out. So...
0: The uh, friend of the show, Louisa Omulan, uh, or oh, just a comedian I work with, she doesn't actually know the show exists. <laughs> but I just decided to toss that in there. She retweeted the night of a Polish drag night.
1: Yes, Slav is... for you! Slab for Genius! Slab
0: for you! <laughs> <laughs> great, great thing. So, look, Casper, thanks so uh. much. We, like. W- we love your work we love what you did i know that everyone listening is going to take loads from
1: it uh so it is goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me it's been so great to hang out i was distracted because i was trying to show that i bought your book <laughs> here it is on my kindle yeah this was the bit i was rereading today in preparation
2: well thank you both so much for having me on and in all seriousness i'm just so grateful for what you both do every day and that we can be friends in at all cuz that's ultimately what really matters so thank you
1: oh that we're that's still friends like... after all what I... sanderson did i really know <right>.
0: Oh my gosh, wasn't that fun. Uh, I bloody love that conversation. Uh, it, We just did that last night. Uh, in the previous outros that I've done, they've sort of been recorded quite uh, long after the fact. So it's been a, like, some, like thinking about what we spoke about way back when, re-listening to things. But yeah, that just happened last night and it was just really loved the conversation. You know, liked adding some more jokes to it. And really that conversation with Casper is really at the heart of what we do. You know, there is such power and such wisdom within these ancient traditions. And James, Casper, and I are all, you know, so passionate about translating it into a way which I hope that everyone uh listening is able to go and find something from. Uh and and then also what we did want to do is that often this stuff can be super serious. There's a lot of mmm, yeah, mmm and uh sort of uh, you know like people tossing around generative and intentional and you know a lot of heart and soul and obviously we want to have a lot of heart and soul and all that but also kind of want to speak in the language that normal people do and yeah so that was really fun and yeah so then in the outros what i'm doing is talking about the community the life on this community and talking about the actually what's been happening at the life on this project So, yeah, this week started, um, I think, the 7th. It's been really great. It has been like getting to the launch of something. You do slightly forget how much itty-bitty stuff there is to do around this and, you know, trying to, like, battle with perfectionism and knowing that the first podcasts aren't always, like, the, the best in any show but wanting them to be really good. And, yeah, but it's been really fun. A lot of late nights uh, and now we're gonna be launching them into the world. Oh, by the way, it was quite, I did uh, spoke to my therapist. And then what was quite funny is he did some sort of map of like behaviors and patterns I get into. And one of them that he picked up was like, you have a tendency to try to explain yourself so that people can understand what you're going through and then you'll feel okay. And I was like, oh, that's super interesting. I've been recording these outros where I really explain myself. So, hey, hope don't know if that's like a condition or it's a good thing or whether it should be something I carry on. But I do. I'm, I'm enjoying doing this at the end and hope it's not too solipsistic. And yeah, and then the other thing that I've been speaking about is the community. So uh, we are, yeah, please go to lifefulness.io forward slash membership. We are starting some online small groups. We're going to start off small because, you know, I think this might be in Casper's book. Does he talk about, you know, he talks about small groups in the interview as well. Like they're so powerful and they, it can sound really simple, but there's something about turning up time and again with people and talking about big issues and sort of letting people in that is just really transformative. And so whether you're thinking that, you're excited by lifefulness at work, whether they're excited about in your personal life, or you'd like to see a lifefulness community near you, or you'd like to become a lifefulness practitioner, go and apply. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we're gonna start off small and uh, yeah, just go and check it out, lifefulness.io forward slash membership. And I forgot to say that actually at lifefulness.io forward slash Podcast. There is still that competition. Please do apply. Spread the word. All of those things. It does make a really big difference. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to follow us or share this, you can go to at the Lifefulness Project on Instagram and on. Let me think. Uh, Facebook and then we are at Lifefulness Project uh, on Twitter. Lifefulness then P R J T Y. No, no. It's gonna do the. That thing we do P-A-R-T-Y because we want to, but then that actually makes it sound like there's a Y on the end. There isn't. Lifefulness Project, P-R-J-T. On Twitter, I'm at Sanderson Jones. James Croft is at James Croft. He is also a, uh, yeah, just a great person to... Uh, Ponder with and to work with uh, on these things. Mavs is our producer. Uh, Mavs Shetty, Will Andrews does the great artwork, and Roman Rapak and Miro Shot make the music that you're listening to right now.